0: Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Hey Amen. With that, today we are talking about something. They've been throwing that up early every time. I love you guys up there. We're going to talk about something called Do It Afraid. Everybody say, Do It Afraid. Now, here's the deal. If you notice, there's a little bit of a picture on the side. I'm going to get to that. Let's get a blow-up picture of what that is. Now, if you notice, it's two kids holding an alligator. Now, you're only going to hear me say this one time ever in church, but if you look at the tall kid's crotch, (laughs) he is peeing his pants. Now, if you guys want to know who this is, this is not Google online. This is not like, oh, I saw this and it was funny. This is my brother-in-law on the left side the infamous Tyler. And uh, what's funny is, his Grace showed me this picture, and first off, I died laughing. Second off, next time I saw him, I had to get the download. So I looked at him and I said, why didn't you just not hold the alligator? And he said, well, I mean, I had to hold it. And I'm like, well, did you know you were gonna pee your pants? And he's like, dude, it's an alligator. (laughs) I was like, there was like no really good explanation for why you should pee your pants holding it, except for like, Dude, it's an alligator. Why wouldn't I hold it? Like, okay. So anyway, we're talking about doing it afraid today. Doing it afraid. Thank you, Tyler, for that. I asked for permission before, and Tyler's the kind of individual who absolutely would not care that I did that. He's supposed to be watching online. His words, not mine. I watch online because I like wearing pajama pants. (laughs) Another sermon for another time. Anyway, um... So we're talking about doing it afraid today. Why? Because some of us, we just need to hold the alligator. (laughs) And And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the times when we talk about fear, right, it's in the church, fear a lot of the times is, don't fear, perfect love casts out fear, never fear, nothing, fear bad, all these things, right? And we don't actually talk about what it means to live, right, a lifestyle where there is fear present, but we continue to choose faith. Because I'm kind of getting a little bit tired of the absolutes of, if you have faith, you should have zero fear. Because I'm sorry, once again, I'm I'm getting away from the absolutes because when I'm studying scripture, I'm seeing people who are doing things afraid, trusting that that with their faith, they can get through it. And, And I believe that really when we boil down a lot of what we're struggling with and dealing with, it's actually rooted in fear. And, and not like fear like, ooh, I'm scared, but it's like fear of failure, fear of rejection, right? Fear of not being known, fear of, of losing control. I mean, fear is, has layers and layers and layers where a lot of us, we're like, oh, I'm not a scared person. But at the same time, we, we crave people's acceptance because we fear not being accepted. We fear being rejected. See, some of us maybe we're dealing with mental things where essentially what it comes down to is we fear maybe not being in control or we fear not really being seen or understood. Or, and a lot, once again, when we actually sit down and go deep and really examine, we might realize that while fear is at the core of a lot of what we do. See, some of us maybe we wanna be in another career path or we wanna take a different step or we wanna go in a different direction, but that first little jump over is really this place of recognizing like, man, I. I'm a little bit afraid of this. I mean, if you didn't know what fear was, I think you probably found it out in the last year and a month. Right? Because no offense, like when COVID first came out, we thought everybody who ever would get it would die. Like, and that's not to say anything about the media or anything, but that was just what fear did is it took it and it blew it up. I mean, me and my wife literally went to Phoenix totally fine and came back and couldn't go grocery shopping. That's what fear does, is it blows things up in such a way where we're looking at the world and not looking at God. Because actually when you're looking at God, what you might find, and I'm just going to be completely honest with you, is that my walk with the Lord now is, after now working in the ministry and, and doing some things, is it's just easy for me to look and say, "Wow, well, I'm afraid of it, I should just do it. If I'm afraid of it, there's, there's something behind it God wants me to have. And what he's doing is he's testing my faith. And that's, a, that's like almost like bare, basic. And the other thing is I ask myself, <laughs> some of you guys will get a kick out of this, but will it good, be a good story? Yes? Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Case in point, alligator pee the pants. Right? <laughs> I guarantee it's like, yeah, obviously it wouldn't be as funny as if he didn't hold the alligator. But at the same time, now it's a great story. And I think a lot of us, right, we're just thinking so much about fear and what it does and how it controls and dehabilitates, and all of these things. And what we're not realizing is what we can do when we overcome it. Because to be honest, most of our culture, most of our way of living is just rooted in just a byproduct of what fear is. I mean, depending on what you're what your stream of information is, whether it's social media, whether it's news outlets, whether it's people that you like or whatever, it's just easy to just wade into an aspect of living a fear-based existence and not really trusting God. And I'm not sitting here saying that faith answers all the questions, but I can tell you this is faith gets you through the fires and you can look back and you might have scars, but you're stronger. And I think that's really what it's about today is there's a passage of Scripture that we're going to focus on in Deuteronomy and Joshua. And I want to set the table because I think a lot of us don't understand the narrative of what's going on in this particular passage. If you know anything about the Old Testament, Moses, this guy that we're not really talking about but kind of are today, he's a big deal. Now, I'm going to give you a really big Old Testament uh, overview in about 20 seconds. What I mean by that is that when God creates man, what happens is his man falls in sins. And that wasn't God's intention. He wanted relationship and he wanted to be able to walk with man. And So what happens is, is when man falls, he essentially tries to give man another chance. And what happens is his sin just takes over. And so what happens is he looks and he says, I'm gonna restart this thing with Noah. And so he brings about a flood that consumes all of the earth and he resets mankind with Noah's lineage where he's like, okay, I'm trying this again, second time it should work. Only problem is, didn't work. So Noah's lineage ultimately doesn't work out. So what happened is, is God now for the third time is trying something. We went Adam, we went Noah. Now we're going to try something and it's called the children of Israel. And it starts with a man by the name of Abraham. He looks and says, this man is righteous. He follows me. I'm going to meet with him and say, I'm going to have a covenant where I have your back. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. And ultimately, if you choose me and stand with me, I'll always fight for you. And Abraham's like, sweet, I'll do it. So what happens is is Abraham dies, but God's hand of favor and blessing is so upon him that when a famine happens, he goes into Egypt and has crazy favor. And what happens is, is Pharaoh recognizes, wow, this guy's got insane favor and actually enslaves all of those descendants, So all of these people who are supposed to be the chosen ones are now enslaved in Egypt. And God says, no, I had a covenant with them. I'm going to take care of it. And he raises up a redeemer by the name of Moses. Now Moses takes over and essentially, how many of you guys know, it would be a lot easier to follow God if we had a burning bush telling us what to do. Like Moses' story literally starts with a burning bush telling us how to live and what to do and to follow him and having a conversation, right? I'm not going to lie. That would make my life a lot easier if the next time I walked past a bush, it got my attention and told me what to do. But what does Moses do? He sees all these miracles and leads millions of people out from Egypt, does all this incredible stuff and leads for decades in a godly way. And towards the end, he kind of falls off a little bit and God says, you know, because you sinned a few times, I'm going to let you die overseeing the promised land, but you're never going to step foot in it. I'm going to bring this guy named Joshua. Now, Moses' story is told from infancy to death and adulthood. Joshua's story? No. No. Joshua just is kind of like brought up, Joshua son of none, just like, oh, he's a spy, we're going to send in, he's got a good reputation. Now, how many of you guys know, it actually, in Jesus' gospels, when you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's something called the transfiguration, where when Jesus was on earth at one point, he went up on a mountain, and Elijah and Moses met him there and just had a conversation. So what does that mean? Moses is kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal. And so what's happening now is what we realize is that Joshua is replacing Moses. Now, pause, because here's what you have to realize. We say the word replacing. Moses is like borderline Jesus of the Old Testament. And we got some nobody coming, and now he's going to be the one leading them in the promised land. And some of us are like, well, that's easy. All he's going to do is take them from the desert into the promised land. Pause. No, no, he's not. What actually we find is that Moses pulls him aside and says, hey, you're going to have to fight for every inch. Every inch of ground in the promised land, you're going to have to fight somebody. And you want to know something actually really consolable? Is he looks at him and he says, you're going to have to fight and every person in the promised land will be perceived as greater, stronger, and mightier than you. Pause. It's March Madness right now, right? I mean, the little guys that could. There's been tons of blowouts, this, or not blowouts, upsets this last weekend. I'm kind of excited about it. Two of them, Christian Universities, Alabama Christian, ORU, Oral Roberts. Sorry, Jack. (laughs) Too soon, Ohio State fans. I'll pray for you all later. Um, But but I do think that that's really funny considering the circumstances of what we're talking about today. But essentially, imagine if you show up at the NCAA tournament. And we're, once again, we're looking through the lens of Moses, telling him every person will be stronger, mightier, and more advanced than you. Don't worry, I'll fight with you. Imagine all you show up. I was at a game on Friday. I went down to Indianapolis with a couple of guys, and we caught a game. Right? If every person on the floor is five foot two, and everybody else on the other team is seven foot four, who do you think's gonna win? Like. If if you're looking on outside appearances in basketball, they're warming up, like these guys can barely make a layup, these guys are doing windmill dunks every time. These dudes can barely make a jump shot, these guys warm up line, is taking jumpers from half court. If you're looking at appearances, who do you think's gonna win? Obviously the ones who look like they're gonna win. So Joshua is essentially, Moses is like, hey, every time you look at him, just don't think about the outside appearance. Like, if I'm Joshua, I'm like, oh, that's nice, except it's hand-to-hand combat. Like, we forget. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'll just drive a tank in or a gun. It's like, I have a sword. That dude's twice the size of me and literally could break me with a toothpick. But God, I know you fight for me. So Joshua is this guy that's like, he kind of shows up and Moses kind of runs him through like the crash course. What you see in Deuteronomy and Joshua is he essentially kind of walks with him for like a few years. And that's really like his kind of instruction period of it is like not very long. Like you would think like Moses, if Joshua knew early on the moment he was born, Moses was like, all right, this baby's going to be the one leading him. here we go. No. And actually outside of when they possess the promised land, you don't see much more about Joshua's life. But you do know that it was a success. What am I trying to get at today? We're gonna look at a couple references and I want you guys to note how in extreme kind of it starts to become where Moses is just having casual conversations and you're going to notice there's a theme. So here we go. It says this, Deuteronomy 1.38, Joshua the son of Nun who stands before you, he shall enter, encourage him for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Encourage him, right? Now, obviously when somebody's taking over for you, Right, You want to encourage them and say they're going to do a good job. right? You want to say, hey, you know, I encourage, it's going to be a tough deal, but don't worry. You're going to be okay. All right, So that's the starting point is, hey, go over to Joshua. He's the one going to lead him into the promised land, encourage him. It's going to be a tough task, so, you know, just pat him on the back. Tell him it's going to be okay. Deuteronomy 3, 21 to 22. This is Moses talking. And I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms in which you are crossing. You shall not fear them for the Lord your God fights for you. So now we're getting a little bit more progressive. What do I mean? Is he's like, hey man, you're gonna be a good leader. You're gonna be okay. Then you know what he says? He says, hey, God's done it before. He's gonna be with you. Don't fear. He's gonna be with you. He's gonna fight for you. Then let's keep going. Deuteronomy 3.28, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of the people, and he shall put them in possession of the land you shall see. Charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen. So what are we, we're at fear not, he's going to fight for you. We're at encourage him. We're at strengthen him, right? We're starting to get a little bit more, we're not done. Deuteronomy 31.78, then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. We're just stacking them up. And if you notice, the progression is the language is starting to get a little bit more urgent. It's like, hey, I want to encourage you. Hey, I want to encourage you and don't fear. Hey, I want to encourage you, don't fear and be strong. Hey, I want to encourage you, don't fear, be strong, and don't be dismayed. Hey, I want to encourage you, don't be don't fear, don't be strong, don't be dismayed. God is with you. Hey, I need to really encourage you. Look at this one, Joshua 1, 6 to 9. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Skip down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you? This is verse 9 too. Oh, stuck with me. Is that Johnny Gibson? On it. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. What are we getting at? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. God's going to fight for you. Don't be dismayed. He's with you. You know how many times Moses references this? 17 times that i found in Deuteronomy and Joshua do we find conversations where Moses is literally looking at Joshua and he's saying, hey, you got this. You're gonna be okay. Don't fear, I'm with you. Keep following, keep pushing, I'm there. I'm gonna fight for you. Now, one time, not two times, not five times, not 10 times, not a dozen times, I see 17 times. See, here's the deal. If I were to look at you today and I were to say, all right, You're going to be trained up for your job today to take over the entire company. And your boss is going to give you one command. And your boss came to you and said this. Just don't be afraid. There's no like 21 steps. There's no manual. There's no nothing. Don't be afraid. Follow God. How many of you guys know we'd be like, what in the world? I'm about to... Let, let's take it a step further. Millions of people he's taking over, inheriting, leading. I think probably the only thing similar to that would be like Amazon or Walmart. You walk in and the CEO looks at you and says, hey, you're taking over. I'm gonna tell you 17 times, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Have a good one. <laughs> like we don't be like, where's the manual? Where are the 26 steps? Where is the infrastructure? Where's the books? Whatever it is. I need a lot more than do not be afraid, be encouraged. I need a lot more than the like, okay, God, like that really feels good, but that's not really good enough. Isn't that what this kind of feels like sometimes? When I say don't be afraid, yeah, it feels good, but it's not good enough. And man, I think that's really where the enemy wants us to be. Is that when God reminds over and over, don't be afraid, do not fear. Is that we don't look and say, okay, God, that feels good, but it's not good enough. But we actually realize that there's power behind those words. See, the reason why Joshua isn't talked about a lot is because he succeeded. Now, he maybe didn't succeed in this crazy, miraculous way like Moses did in some of his instances. But if he failed, we would have talked about him a lot more than we do today. He succeeded. And what does it start with don't be don't be afraid do not fear i'm with you i'm fighting for you don't shy away i'm right beside you don't be dismayed be encouraged see this is like i said this all sounds good within reason but all of a sudden when reason doesn't add up it doesn't sound good anymore Because faith and fear, they run perpendicular to each other, and it's just way easier to go with the flow of this world than actually believe that we're supposed to live trusting and not fearing. See, a lot of us, we maybe lie awake at night, and we have the fear really at the core of why we can't sleep. Maybe some of us, we look at our families, and all we can think about is the fear of uncertainty, the fear of maybe what's going on within your home or within your marriage. Some of us, we look in our bank accounts and all we can think about is how it's not adding up and then the fear of what that means. And all of a sudden, it's just easy to live there, stay there, camp out there and trade in what God wants your faith to do for what your fear has defined you as. Because fear can easily stereotype you. It can easily keep you in place. It can easily tell you how to live and it can easily rob you of your faith because that's just how the world lives. See, Joshua, I'm I'm doing a bad job in terms of what he was up against. You wanna know how bad the children of Israel were? They literally couldn't follow God outside of just following Moses. They weren't following God, they were following Moses if you really break it down. Every time the dude was gone, they they had a breakdown. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, like, Moses at one point met with God so long that he came down from the mountain and the people couldn't even look like him because he glowed so bright. Imagine if you walked into work and your boss walked in and you couldn't even look him in the face because he was glowing. You're like, wow, he must've spent time with God last night. That's how Moses lived. He was just that incredible of a dude. And here's Joshua. Joshua. I mean, Moses was gone one time and literally they were just like, Moses is gone. We got to find something to worship and follow. Let's just build a gold calf. I'd love to be the behind the scenes in that brainstorming session. It's like, why can't you build like a leopard or a lion or something intimidating? You built a calf. Like it's like, that's like borderline build a chicken or something. Like you can build something better than a calf. Literally anything I think might be better than a calf. What am I saying today, right? The, people, the children of Israel were so fickle in how they lived their life that you better believe, I would have bet over and over again that Joshua would fail because Moses actually did. Isn't that crazy? Moses didn't get to go into the promised land because he failed. How is this Joshua kid who has no experience, who has no burning bush, who has no moments on the mountain, who has none of it, how is he gonna be the one? And I think a lot of the times that's just how we live is we look at the background, we look at what we've been through, we look at what we're facing. How is God going to? How does God have a plan? How does God work this for good? How is God gonna get me through that? How is God gonna be in control during this? How is God love me when this is happening? How is God good when all this is bad? How, and within that, what we're doing is we're actually doing exactly what the enemy wants. See, fear, all it is is seeds of doubt. All it is is seeds of doubt. If he can just throw a couple seeds and they take over your garden, he's one. And so today I pray that we never lose sight of what it means to be people who choose faith over fear. And really what that comes down to is we have to realize that fear fear and faith are directly related to your fulfillment. And that's what we're gonna talk about for the remaining time here, a little seven minute or whatever, how to turn fear into fulfillment because that's what we don't think goes on a lot of the times. Thank you for the amen, Judah. That's what we don't think goes on sometimes, is we don't realize that when we choose faith, we're actually forfeiting fulfillment, or not faith, fear. We don't realize that every time we're choosing fear, we're forfeiting the fulfillment that faith will bring. Because I promise you, when it says that he can work for good, all things according to his promises, he he means that. When he says that he has a plan for you to prosper you, to give you hope and a future, that was written to people who were enslaved and in bondage and in exile. See, God is in the the business of rewriting a narrative, but you have to trust that he's the narrator. And you're not the one writing your life out. You're the one following what he's wanting for you. And some of us, we've never been at this place of actually realizing that faith and fear are the biggest things to your fulfillment. And if you're not fulfilled right now, chances are it's because fear's robbed you of it. It's not anything other than that. If the number one command for a man leading millions of people from a desert to a promised land is not 26 steps of how to defeat an enemy 20 times bigger than you. It's not the ABCs of what being a CEO of God's chosen people is. It is fear not. I am with you and I fight with you. I would venture to say it still can work for you. Fear to fulfillment today, the first one. Fear is a connection issue, and some of us we're gonna we're like, well, that's easy. Fear is a connection issue. Not to bring Tyler back into this, but I had to. I actually told my in-laws last night this. I've been learning a lot from Tyler's life because his stories are incredible. A few weeks ago, me and uh, me and Matt were actually going out. Seber, one of my good buddies, we were going out, and I invited him to come along. And he said, I can't because my car's not working. And I said, Oh, okay. What's wrong with it? Oh, dude, it's not been starting. I think it's a starter or something like that. I'm like, Okay. So all week, he's texting me like how it's not working. Sometimes it does. Drops it off, and for three days, it's at the shop. And the shop owner calls him and says, hey, you can come pick it up. He goes, okay, how much is it? He says, it's free. He said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you should just check your post connections and tighten them next time because they were just loose. It's just a screwdriver. And man, how many of us, right, we're really just not connected to the thing that can start our lives. Like how many of us, if we actually broke down, like how connected are you with God? We might find that, wow, actually when I assess my life and my lifestyle, I may not be connected to the source of power. How many of us, like if we were really, really honest, right, and we really had to ask ourselves the question, what does our connection look like? We could really honestly answer the question, it's really good on Sunday mornings. There's a passage of scripture, Psalms 54, 4, It says this, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Now, pause. When I read this, I was at my house in my office reading this, and I stopped and I said, God, I thank you that you are the upholder of my life. And I just started praying because it was a reminder that, yes, God is the upholder of everything that I am. Now, pause. If you looked at this and said, God, thank you that you're the upholder of my life, what would that feel in your spirit like? Because what scripture does is it cuts between flesh and bone, and it reveals your standing. And I think a lot of us, we can pray, God, thank you, you're the upholder of my life, and inside know that we don't mean that. We can say, God, I thank you that you're my helper, I thank you that you're my upholder, but deep down, we know that our connection doesn't actually define that. And I'm not trying to be hypercritical. I'm not trying to absolutely bulldoze today. But what I am trying to do is get us to realize that fear will rob you of fulfillment. And if it starts with connection, you have to start analyzing yours. And so today, behold, God, thank you that you are my helper. And thank you that you are my upholder. Man, that is a great place to start is when we can actually ask ourselves and evaluate our connection. I very rarely do this in the middle of a sermon, but I actually started a book a few weeks ago. If some of you guys are wanting maybe a little bit more practicals, once again, I love when people ask me for practicals because I'm like, okay, we've never had more access to the Bible. We've never had more access to teaching. We've never had more access. And I listened to a podcast this week about how, how on the American church, we're all about learning, but we're not about obedience. We want to learn everything and not obey anything. And it was like super convicting because I've heard messages all the time where I'm like, amen. Then it's like, God's like, you gonna obey that? I'm like, I don't know, probably not. (laughs) Like, The Common Rule by Justin Early. Great book, The Common Rule. And essentially it breaks down four daily practices and four weekly practices to make sure that your connection is good. It's an incredible book. That's one where if you're looking and saying, man, I need to evaluate my connection, you should check that one out. It's like 10 bucks on Amazon. The second one, there's a difference between self-help and Christ help. And this one to me, in our, in the church today and in really the Western world, we're all about self-help. If I sprinkle a little bit of this, sprinkle a little bit of this, sprinkle a little bit, if I get a little bit of the spiritual thing, if I get a little bit of the healthy thing, if I get a little bit of this practical thing, if I, then all of a sudden, what bammy. See, self-help, what it does is it wants to make you a better version. No, God wants to make you a new creation. Those two things are different. See, some of us, what we want is we want God to make us a little better, but God only wants to make you new. And this is where it gets hard because when the rubber meets the road, see, self-help is I'll do this, I won't do that. I'll do this, I won't do that. I'll do New creation is, God, I'll do everything you ask because I trust that you're wanting to make me something better than I could ever be on my own. See, we want the self-help, which is kind of easy and a little bit feels good and almost is trendy nowadays. But the new creation is hard. The new creation is when I don't feel like it. The new creation is when I read something and it's convicting. The new creation is when I'm challenged to my core and I know I need to change and I choose to. That's what new creation is. See, self-help is for the glamorous and is for for the social media posts and all that. The new creation is for the secret place, transforming your life and trusting that when your life is transformed and you become into his likeness, it is the best way you could ever live. I pray we start to differentiate between those two things. Because they're way different. They're way different. Romans 12, two, Even look at this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now listen to this. That by testing, you may discern what is the will. So essentially what it's saying is when your mind is renewed, it's renewed so that when you go through things, you can test them to discern the will of God. That doesn't sound awesome. Like, I'm not like God, renew my mind so when I'm tested, I can discern. But that's what renewal's for. That when you're tested, you can discern. You know what the will of God is? Where it, what he wants you to do? The decision he wants you to make. The way he wants you to live. That's what it is. But I love how it's broken down because some of us, we're wondering, why do I need to renew my mind? You need to renew your mind so that you can discern what the will of God is when you're going through testing. That's it, basic. Romans twelve two. And I pray today, once again, that we realize that it's not just about, okay, God, I want to do these things, I want to do that thing, but it is, God, I need to be a new creation so that I can discern when I am being tested what your will is and I can be obedient because I do not want to live in the desert, I want to go in the promise. See, Joshua, Moses drug the children of Israel, kicking and screaming to the edge, and now this nobody new guy is supposed to bring them in. He could have easily just failed and they settled in that desert. But guess what? Renewing the mind of following God, renewing the mind of being a new creation allows you to not think how this world thinks, but to think how heaven thinks. And an aerial view is a lot better than a landscape one. The third thing is reframe how you think. I can, I will, I'm going to. I'm not gonna lie, if I had a nickel for every time I heard I can't, I won't, and I'm not going to. I mean, if we asked ourselves, I can't, nah, I probably won't, I'm not going to. I mean, that is just like, that's like common language. But what you see in the Bible is I can, I will, and I'm going to. And if we could be a people of faith, see, some of us, our fear might be solved if we just change those couple words. You know, I feel like I can't, but I can. You know, I might feel like I won't, but I will. You know, I might feel like I'm not going to, but I am. See, if we can maybe reframe that, because here's what you need to realize. I'm stealing this one from John Bevere. Amateurs built the ark. Professionals built the Titanic. Which one sunk? Some of us, we want to be perfect all the time. And we think that you have to be perfect. And no, all you got to do is follow God. Because if you're thinking you need to be professional to make it following God, you've missed the context. If he can take some nobody farmers and have them build a billion foot long ark for two of every animal in the world to survive a storm that overtakes everything, and then professionals build a Titanic that sinks on its first voyage, I'd much rather have Noah's sauce. And man, I'll be honest, it's so hard sometimes when you know God has called people, you know God has something in your heart, you know you're supposed to do something, and all it is is I can't. And all it is is I won't. And all it is is I'm not going to. See, all we want to do is be validated by everybody else and not be empowered by Scripture. I'll be honest, I stopped being validated five years ago. Because when you step on a stage, if that's how you live, God weeds it out first. And so what you have to realize is that if you want to be, I can, I will, I'm going to, it starts with understanding his word and following his spirit. Because there is nobody going to validate you into the creation that he's called you to be. Because that creation far surpasses people's thinking. It far surpasses what people label you as. It far surpasses stereotypes. It far surpasses what your upbringing was. When you realize... That a mindset of I can, I will, and I'm going to partner with his spirit and his word is actually the lifestyle you're supposed to live. That validation, it's not there anymore. Because validation doesn't exist from a secular world when we're serving a kingdom God. Church, can we be people who don't look at everything and then determine what it is that we're going to do inside, but rather our inside determine everything of what we're going to do on the outside. I, I, just, I, my last thought is this. Got a cough? Don't worry, I'm good. <laughs> That's what happens when you yell a lot. Got one more service. We're gonna yell. And this one might sound basic too, but I think it's important. Fear is not handled timidly. You must attack it because it wants to destroy you. A few years ago, I had a guy who lived with me and he came in one day and he owned a pet fox. Yes, that's F-O-X. And he came in one day off my deck, just white as a sheet, terrified. And he looked at me and he goes, dude, I can't believe what just happened. I looked at him, I said, what? He said, well, I was letting my fox run around in a ravine and then all of a sudden, this never happened before. I looked, and my fox was beelining towards me right here. And, and he, he got behind my leg, and by the time he got back, I looked up, and there was a coyote about twice or three times its size running right after it. And I didn't even have time to react. And as it got closer, this is, and my yard isn't that big, so it's about 20, 25 feet. He sees this coyote, looks at it, looks at his fox, and just punts it. Dead serious, just punted it. And he said it, let out a big whelp and ran away. I was like, dude, you just punted a coyote? We'll pause. What would happen, that coyote, when it was running toward him, if when it got close? Because that coyote wasn't just trying to have a good time with the fox. That coyote was trying to destroy it. And some of us, we don't realize that the enemy is running. Fear is running right toward us. And he's trying to destroy your happiness. He's trying to destroy your fulfillment. He's trying to destroy your calling. He's trying to destroy who God's created you to be. He's trying to destroy your relationships. He's trying to destroy all that thing. And if he can get fear to run by and get to it. And some of us, we don't want to address what we fear head on. We don't want to deal with it. We want to brush it under the rug and hope. And instead, what happens is it becomes a cycle. And I'll be honest, if you allow it to become a cycle in your life, it can be a cycle in your son's life. It can be a cycle in your daughter's life. It can be a cycle in your granddaughter's. See, generational curses is not just this thing where it's like, wow, that sounds really weird and mystical. No, actually, the entire Old Testament is one big generational curse. Walk away from God. come Come back. Walk away. Come back. Walk away. Come back. Walk away. Come back. Walk away. Come back. Judges alone, I think, has 24 or 26 different references of people walking away and coming back from God. What am I trying to say? Is that we have to aggressively deal with the fears that we have because if we don't, they will destroy us. And we'll doubt why God ever used us and all he's looking at is saying because you never dealt with your fear. You chose faith for a moment and fear for a lifetime and wondered why you never sensed or truly pursued me. There's a passage of scripture, Psalms 34 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. See, a lot of us, we think brokenheartedness and crushed in spirit is every reason we fall away from God, is a good enough reason we don't follow Him, is a good enough reason we can discount, discredit, and throw Him out in the trash. And what it actually is, is when you're brokenhearted, He's near. When you're crushed in spirit, He saves. And man, I read these verses and I'm like, when I'm feeling down, I'm starting to feel better. Why don't we read verses and feel like that? Because the fear of this world has taken over everything we could ever know about Scripture. And so we perceive it through a secular worldview and wonder why we never actually enter in if we realize that he's near to the brokenhearted, that he saves the crushed in spirit, then we would maybe recognize that there's some fear running at us that we could maybe get a little strength in our right calf and kick it in the teeth. My parting thought is in 2 Peter 3, 17. It says this, Beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability see some of us I'll be honest if I looked at you and said if you are you handling fear most of us don't even have a good grid for it because all the people we follow just kind of live life and aren't stable on their own unstable people destabilize others and I'll be honest like it's so interesting to me when we just follow the lawlessness of our land and wonder why we have no stability if your input is social media, if your input is the news outlets, if your input is your close friends, and it's not the Bible, it's not God, it's not sound teaching, it's not sound doctrine, it's not good community, it's not a a, a lifestyle of worship. If it's not these things, you're going to be unstable. Fear's taking a lot more than your pet fox out. I promise you that. And we don't have time for the reflection questions. Let's stand to our feet.